Mark chapter 4, we'll start in verse 35 and uh, read down to verse 41. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. They woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He awoke, and he rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. The wind ceased, and there was great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Well, they were filled with, they were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, who then is this? That even the wind, and the sea obey. Join me as we pray. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would, in an extraordinary and even unusual way, speak to our hearts from your word. We pray that you would now calm the souls of those that sense the storm. Draw people close. Make us strong. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It has often been said that you are either going into a storm in the storm at present or coming out of the storm. Certainly it was this passage that William Cooper, the great poet and hymn writer, who struggled with insanity, surely it was this poem, this passage that William Cooper had in mind when he wrote the words, God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps on the seas and he rides on the storm. How do you know you're in a storm? What even is a storm? How would you define it? What are the parameters around which you might talk about my life right now is a storm? Andy Davis, the great preacher at First Baptist Church, Durham, North Carolina. Andy Davis is an MIT graduate. He is a brilliant man. He's memorized most of the New Testament. Got a big giant brain. Andy Davis says that the storm, the storm is anything that is deeply distressing. Any issue in your life that is a trial. Anything that brings tears is a storm. Something hurts you deeply. 
something that creates a sense of, of worry or anxiety or hurt or even panic. That's what they're doing here, panicking. Prayed with the lady last week, church. She came up before the service. She's wearing a mask. She has cancer, and it's not the cancer that's hurting her so bad. It's the treatment that's stripping her body. Trial, the storm. Could be a could be a chronic illness. If you're an, a parent, it could be an, an aging, an, an older adult child that has gone wayward. Or the loss of a child. Could be could be the storm that you, you feel it because you the person that you love, a parent or a spouse, you can sense Alzheimer's, you know how terrible it is. Or divorce. Anything that throws your life into a tragic upheaval, that's a storm. And it, and it creates fear in us. Just like it did the disciples. And where this is going, this story, where this is going, Jesus is going to ask them the searching question, why are you afraid? Have you no faith? This is a searching story. When you read chapter 4, Jesus is teaching parables, and you get to the end of chapter 4, this actually becomes a living parable of sorts. And this parable, this story, ends with the disciples in verse 41. There's a question on their lips. The very end, when everything is over and Jesus calms the storm, the guys in the boat have a question. Who then is this? That even the winds and the sea. It's a question that every one of us in this room have to answer today. This morning, in the few moments we have together, I, I just intend to walk through the story. That's all I want to do. Walk with you through this passage and hopefully use it to harden your resolve and strengthen your faith to put your joy and faith in the one who rides with you in the storm. So when you hear the question, who then is this? You can know that Jesus, here's the answer, the theme of this sermon, Jesus is the strong son of God that keeps his people safe. I want you to know Jesus as the strong son of God that keeps his people safe. So let's pick the passage up. Let's just keep looking at it. What's more important, most important today is that you See what the Bible says. So let's go to it in verse 35. Here's the first thing I want you to notice is that he, Jesus, initiates some of our trouble. Sometimes the trouble you're in is Jesus doing that. Let me show you where I get that in verse 35. You'll notice what the text says. Notice how it opens up on that day. What day? On a day that's been really long. Read chapter 4, you'll find out uh, that Jesus taught that day. It's been a long day of ministry. 
The text says, verse 35, evening, evening has come, the sun is going down. He's been teaching all day, casting out demons, he's been called names. He had a weird visit with his family. They showed up. That didn't go well. And it's Jesus in verse 35 who says to the disciples, let's us go across the sea. You see it in verse 35? On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go to the other side. They are in Capernaum, the northern part. They're going to travel to the other side. And it's not the disciples saying, hey, Jesus, let's get away from here. It is Jesus who's leading the way. Now, you and I have the benefit of being on this side, and so we know more about Jesus than the disciples did. We know that Jesus is omniscient, that he knows everything, that he is completely sovereign, that Jesus is leading those disciples into the storm. He knows there's a storm out there in the middle of that lake, and he's taking them out there. Look, just because, hey, look, just because... Just because things are bad, don't fall into the trap that says, if things are going poorly, then God is against you. If things are going well, God is with you. That if things are great, you're being blessed. If things are bad, you're not being blessed. That's terrible theology. You trust in the sovereignty of God. Sometimes Jesus takes you into the storm. It's him doing that. He has initiated that. Just because things are bad, just because things are hurtful, just because things are hard, just because things are stressful does not mean that the Lord is not leading you. Maybe it's a terrible job you got. Doesn't mean that God doesn't have you there. Maybe it's a tumultuous friendship. Hey, look, maybe it's a bad diagnosis. Maybe it's a hateful child. So sometimes Christ takes us into these storms to teach us things. I mean, that's what this is about. Jesus, after it's over, he says to them, why were you afraid? Why? Don't you believe? Sometimes Christ has you there to teach you humility. Sometimes he takes us there to, to stretch us, to build our faith. Sometimes you are thrown into the storm in order that you might learn that all the other crutches are fake. Sometimes he knocks out every single one so that we, like the disciples, run to him. So that we might find out that Jesus, Jesus is the only one who can carry you. Jesus is the only one who will save you. Jesus is the one who gets you through the storm. Look, it's, it's when life is lonely. It's when life is shattered. It's when life is bewildering. That's when you learn to stand on the rock that is Christ. Graduates, there's some older folks saying that because they've lived it. Maybe God has you there. I'm just going to, just as a brother in Christ, because I'm not very, very good with words, how to dress it up, let me just say to you, stop complaining. Stop complaining. God has you there. Stop complaining. Start clinging to Jesus. Because Jesus is the strong son of God, 
and he will keep you safe. He initiates some of our trouble. That's the first point. Let me give you a second one. I need to pick up the speed a little bit. Number two. Here's the second thing. Number two, he is always about the mission. Jesus is always about the mission. Notice what it says in verse 35. It's a mission. Verse 35, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, now let's go over to the other side. They've been working all day, had ministry all day. The sun goes down. He'd been preaching in a boat. And he says to him, you know what? We're already in the boat. Let's go to the other side. Why the other side? What is over there? Well, we're going to see in chapter 5, over there on the other side in chapter 5, there is a man possessed by a demon. It's not just any demon. This is not some little baby amateur demon. He's, he's possessed by Several demons, a legion of demons, a thousand demons. The garrison demoniac in verse in chapter five, you go over there and see him. This demon's making him throw himself down. He's cutting himself. He's in the tombstones. It's a terrible thing, and they can't do anything with him. Jesus is going over there. There's a mission over there. On that side of the lake, there's a woman. For 12 years, she's struggled with this female problem. She can't fix it. Doctors have tortured her for 12 years. Jesus is going over there for that woman. On the other side of that lake, there's a, there's a strong man named Jairus. He's a, he's a leader in the synagogue. He's got a little daughter. Now look, I don't have, I didn't have daughters. I always wanted a little girl. Of course, those that have daughters say, no, you didn't either. Grass is always greener, isn't it? But I've seen some of the fathers uh, with these little girls that have grown up to be big girls graduating from high school, and I've seen you just crying to the point it's embarrassing. <laughs> because it's, it's different. Having girls is different than it is having boys. Jesus is going across the sea, and there's a, there's a guy over there named Jairus. He's got a little girl who's not only sick to death, it looks like she's going to die, and Jesus is going over there. You see, he's always about the mission. Now, brothers and sisters, it's important here at Hickory Grove that we are clear on who we are doctrinally. I believe very strongly in engineering a group of Christians that have a robust sense of what good doctrine is so that we have clear lines on what we believe. It's true. I also believe that we press desperately toward discipleship. It's why we do expositional preaching. It's why if you go to our bookstore, what you're going to find there are books that can help you grow in your faith and knowledge and depth. That's why we do community groups. It's why we have D groups. That's why we have a book of the month. Those books are, are there for your own spiritual growth. We believe in doctrine. We believe in discipleship. We believe in mercy ministry, that we ought to be not only ministering to the soul, but to the body of people. But let's not ever forget. Let's not get knocked off center. Let's not ever forget. We always, we always are driving to the gospel of Jesus. We live in a world, in a city, in a state and country that's decided that June is what is known as Pride Month. 
It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. Pride Month and the LGBTQ movement. It's a terrible, it's a terrible, it's a terrible delusion taking pride. It's one thing to take pride. The Bible says that pride goes before a fall, but then to take pride in, is in a delusion. It's Romans 1 that's come to live among us. It's Romans 1. Go and read Romans 1 sometime. Romans 1, verse 24, Paul says that, therefore God, God gave them up to the lusts of the hearts, to the impurity, to the dishonoring their bodies among themselves, and it's darkness. It's darkness, but we have the hope and light of Christ. And the hope and light of Christ shines in the darkness. So we don't stand over here, insular, throwing rocks at enemies. It's not what God calls us to do. Jesus is about the mission. What do we do? We, we offer Christ, Christ and him crucified. Christ and the one crucified. Christ and him crucified will dispel the darkness. We, we say that Jesus that that's not the answer. That, that's not the answer. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the better answer and the true Savior. That, that perversion, it's taking pride, that's not the answer. Christ has established his church, his church as the pillar and ground of truth. That comes from the Bible. But we're also, don't forget, we are to be a rescue mission to shine the light of Christ on a depraved world so that the world might see that it's Jesus. Jesus is the strong son of God. He keeps his people safe, and he's always about the mission. That means we ought to know the gospel. You ought to know the categories by now. We need to know it. God who is holy created man. That's the second category. Man is a sinner separated from God. The third category, Christ God loved us to the degree he gave us Christ, who is fully God and fully man. He died on the cross in the place of sinners. God raised him from the dead. The fourth category is faith. What is the response? To believe. If you believe the gospel, we should know the gospel. We shouldn't just know it. We should show the gospel. It's one thing if you can articulate the gospel, but you live like a hypocrite. That's not helpful. We should be able to show the gospel in our lives. We should be able to verbally share the gospel to articulate when somebody says, now what do you mean when you say I'm a Christian? You can share that. We, we lean on the gospel as a church and as individuals because we trust that he is about the mission. Not only that, let me give you a third point. <clears throat> number three. Let's just keep walking through it. You read this and you find out, number three, that he is the second Adam. Second Adam. Let me explain myself when I say that. What I mean is that he is fully human. That Jesus is the second Adam. The first Adam came, made in the image of God, and fell into sin. That sin has affected all of us since Adam. The first Adam should have lived in perfect fellowship with God. He didn't. So Jesus came as the second Adam. You read verse 35 and 36, 37, 38. And you see the full humanity of Jesus. Let me show it to you. Join me there, verse 35. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let's go to the other side. Verse 36. Leaving the crowd, 
They took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with them. Okay, let's just pause there. How do we see the humanity of Jesus? Well, one thing is, he's getting away from the crowd. He's been with them so long, he needs a break. That's what he says. Let's leave. In fact, you find that he's in a hurry. Verse 36 tells us that uh, they took him just as he was. He's in the boat. He's been teaching all day. They don't go back to the shore. They don't go get some clothes for the journey. Just as he was, let's go. You've been there before. You've worked so hard. You know what? You're like, you know what? Just leave it. Let's go. That's sort of what's going on here. Here's the humanity of Jesus. Verse 37, 38, we find out that he's, that he's tired. You can mark it down, Mark 4, verse 37 and 8. It's the only place in the Bible you see Jesus sleeping. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern. It's on the elevated spot where the coxswain, the man that's steering the boat, sits. He was on the stern asleep on a cushion. You know what you have here? Here's a picture of the humanity of Jesus. He's tired. It's been a long, hard day. Matthew tells us, when you read Matthew, that Jesus got hungry. Mark tells us earlier he gets angry. John chapter 11 tells us that he, he cried. Verse, 30, verse 38 tells us he wanted to sit on a cushion. It's not a sin to have cushioned pews. Jesus would have had cushioned pews. There's proof right there. It's the humanity of Jesus. Not only that, in verse 38, you find him, the storm, has now, the storm has now broken out on the boat. It is a terrible night. It's being flooded. And verse 38, Jesus is completely trusting. It's important to get this. <clears throat> in his full humanity, he is the full perfect human. This is important for us doctrinally. Let me just sort of think through, think, think through it with me. The righteousness of Jesus. Here is the earned righteousness of Jesus. We put a lot of stress on, as we should, Jesus dying on the cross in the place of sinners. But let's not forget, he lived as the second Adam, the perfect Adam. In perfect fellowship with God, fulfilling the law perfectly. We find him here in verse 38. The storm is there. He has perfect trust. He is not worried at all. Why is that important for us? Because when we go to the cross, that's where our sins are paid for, but we need something else. At the cross, the great exchange happens. That's when the righteousness of Jesus, you see, he didn't just die for us, he lived for us. And, and if you are not covered in the righteousness of Jesus, you are depending on your own. And it won't be enough. So it's important we see that he is the second Adam. Let me give you a, a fourth thing to consider. If he is the second Adam, that's his full humanity. Let's talk about his deity. Number four, he is the only Savior. The only Savior. Here is the, here is the divinity. Here is the fully godness of Jesus. Right here. Let me go back to verse 37, 38, and 39, let's go back to the storm and look past the panicked disciples and watch the sovereign Jesus in control. This is a great story. Verse 37. <clears throat> a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat 
so that the boat was already filling. He was in the stern, Jesus was, asleep on the cushion. They woke him. They said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Verse 39, and he awoke, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Sovereign Jesus, disciples are panicking, the storm is raging, Jesus is sleeping. The Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. It's in a bowl, 13 miles long, 7 miles wide. The storms would come quickly. The boat that they're in, they found one called the Jesus Boat in the Sea of Galilee. You can go there and see it. It's probably seven or eight feet long, a feet wide, about the size of this pulpit. Fifteen feet long, 12 men could be in that boat comfortably. Jesus, where the coxswain would be on a seated cushion. Waves are so high now that they're battering the boat. They're coming up over the bow. Verse 38, the last resort. They wake him up. I don't think that they thought he could do anything. I think that they just thought, how can he not be concerned? Are you not concerned? Verse 39, look at it. It's the word. Rebuke. It's the same thing he does with demons. Jesus, a good way to understand, he muzzled the wind. From a raging storm, peace be still. Dead calm. I honestly think this is one of the most amazing miracles. You ever been on a small craft in the open water when a summer storm comes up? It's one of the most terrifying things. And Jesus stands and says, be still. English history is a fascinating thing. You like history. Before the Norman Conquest in 1066, the Anglo-Saxons spread out over England, or seven kingdoms down to one. Alfred the Great made them one. Then one of his descendants named Athelred the Unready. How'd you like to have that as your name? Athelred the Unready. He's deposed by the Vikings. The Vikings came through once again in the 11th century and ended up, England ended up with a Viking king, a Danish king named Canute. King Canute, they said he was a Christian. He took his throne out by the sea, it is said. He set his throne there by the sea at the edge of the water, and from his throne as the king commanded the sea to stop coming at him. Of course, you know that the water dashed at his feet and his legs and covered him. Had no respect for him as a king. Canute jumped up from the, the throne and this is what he said, let all men know how empty and worthless the power of kings. There is none worthy of the name except him who heaven and earth and sea obey. This beautiful story right here, I want you to drink it because we have on display the power and the lordship 
of the sovereign Jesus. You and I panic. We lose faith. And Jesus says, peace, be still. The great preacher G. Campbell Morgan said that no storm, no storm can wreck the vessel where Christ is. I'll give you a fifth thing to consider. Number five, he is, we've talked about his humanity and his deity. Number five, he is the true companion, the true companion. I won't go back through it again, but if you read the story, verse 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, you read those verses and you watch the whole, whole thing unfold, the whole time, whether it's smooth sailing like it is at the beginning, Jesus, whether it's Jesus asleep, whether it's the storm coming in, if the storm is raging, whether it's on the, on the other side of the storm, the absolute calm, the absolute calm after that, whether it's any of that, regardless of what point in the story you pick it up, there's one constant that should have filled the disciples with confidence. That is, Jesus was with them. Now look, where Jesus is, there need not be any fear. In fact, that's the question, right? That's the question and the lesson that's taught here. The whole thing takes us to verse 40, and Jesus, after he rebukes the wind and the waves and everything is stilled, he turns to the disciples and says, why? Why are you afraid? I mean, you can hear it in his voice. It is wildly inappropriate to be afraid. Graduates, if Christ is with you, no storm can wreck you. Brothers and sisters, if Christ is Lord, then all is well. Fear and faith cancel out one another. There is no panic in the heart of a man when he knows Christ. What did Paul say to the church at Philippi? In Philippians chapter 1, verse 28. He said, don't, don't be frightened by anything by your opponents. It's, this is going to happen. When people see that you're not afraid, don't be frightened by anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction and of your salvation, and that is from God. Look, Jesus is at the heart Jesus is at the heart of every storm, and he is not anxious in the least. Jesus is with us. Now, be careful how you think about that. Jesus is with us, not in the sort of, sort of misery loves company kind of way. He's not just with us in the storm, and he's going to go down with us in the storm. Jesus is not with us in the misery loves company sort of way. He is with us in the sovereign, controlling, protecting kind of way so that nothing can happen to you. What does he do with the storm? He takes you through it. Why? To build your faith. Some of you are old enough now. You've been, you've been, you've been alive long enough. You can look back. And you can say, that was a storm, and that was a storm, and that was a storm, and yet the boat didn't go down because Jesus was in it with me. 
Jesus is the strong Son of God that keeps his people safe. Sometimes he initiates the trouble. He initiates some of the trouble. Jesus is always on mission. He's taking us to the other side. His mission. Let's not forget who he is. He is the second Adam. That is to say, he's fully human. Also, he is the only Savior. That is to say, he's fully divine. He is the true companion with us. I'll, I'll close it here. Number six. He is to be worshipped. Worshipped. Look at him in verse 40, Verse 41. This is where we started. Let's end there. Verse 41, the fear of the storm. Okay, they were afraid of the storm. I'm how afraid they were. The fear of the storm is now eclipsed by their fear of the sovereign Lord Jesus. Look what they say. They're filled, verse 41. They were filled with great fear. They said to one another, who then is this? At the wind and the waves. I mean, isn't, isn't that right here? This is where I want to be. This is where I want us to be. Whatever terrible thing is out there, whatever terrible, painful thing is out there, whatever, whatever problem, whatever issue that we've got to face, whatever anxiety that you dread, whatever that is out there is absolutely eclipsed. By the fear you have for the sovereign Lord Jesus. That Jesus Christ is, is to be held in awe and worship. I'll end this sermon where I started it. You answer for yourself. Who then is this? That the winds and the waves will obey. With your heads bowed this morning, let's go to the Lord in a moment of prayer before we sing our final worship song. Some of you, for the first time, you've heard it and you believe the gospel. Today when we sing, would you come forward and talk to one of the pastors giving your life to Jesus Christ? Maybe this morning you've been reminded, you just were reminded that Jesus has carried you through and you didn't even recognize it. You've been through terrible storms and he got you through. You want to come and just thank God. Just thank you, Lord. Maybe you know someone that is in the middle of it right now and they are so afraid. You want to pray for them. Maybe you want to bring them down here just pray with them. Maybe pray with a pastor. God has moved in your heart, strengthened your soul. You'd like to come and pray or be prayed for. This morning when we sing, it'd be the time to do that. Father in heaven, we pray that you strengthen our faith, take away fear. We thank you that you are with us. We pray, Lord, that you would use us for good and for the gospel. Minister to the hearts of your people, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand, please, and we'll sing together.